So this is Kelsey. Everybody say hi. So she is the congregational development <laughs> manager, right? That's, yes. that's yes. it. For uh, Family Promise. She's been with Family Promise for nine years, right? Mm-hmm. So she uh, yes. has a lot to tell us. Uh, she's going to be telling us about Family Promise and what it takes to do it, what exactly it is. And so she's going to be speaking for a few minutes here, and then we're going to sing our last song, take a break, do snack time, and then there will, there will be a question and answer time. So if you have questions, write them down, keep them in your head, and then after service, uh, she'll be available to answer all of our questions, make sure we know exactly what we're doing. So I'm going to hand it over to Kelsey. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for having me here this morning. I already feel at home, like some of the songs we sang are my lullaby songs for my two and a half year old right now. Like he, he's still, we do three, it's his whole routine, three books and then song and then one more song, mama, one more song, mama. Okay, well, what song can I think of? Well, what about Lord, I need you? Oh my gosh, seriously. So uh, I already feel so much at home. Thank you for welcoming me here this morning. And the clicker. Did I put that in my pocket already? It's right there on the table for you. Oh, behind my teeth. There it is. So hopefully this morning I'll be able to give you a great picture of the families that we serve and then the specifics about the IHN ministry. And I know some of you have already been chatting about that. You kind of understand the concept of what it is. So hopefully this kind of goes from big picture to the little picture of some logistical questions that you might have. And um, as Pastor Josiah said, afterwards, I'm happy to answer any other questions that you might have as your congregation considers how you you all can get involved. So thank you. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So I love this open forum with prayers and things like that. So you were already used to that. So I love that I can just ask and then maybe even get some answers from you. Um, What are some of the things that you think of when you think of homelessness or when you think of the word homeless? What comes to mind? Even if you feel like it's a stereotype or a wrong answer, what comes to mind immediately? Yeah. Man under a bridge. Man under a bridge. Yes. (laughs) Anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, sleeping in a car. And veterans and mentally ill people who Yes, absolutely. Veterans, mentally, mentally ill, maybe substance abuse going on. Some of those stereotypes that when we think of homelessness. For Family Promise, we work with families with kids in a housing crisis. So when we hear that word, we're always trying to change the narrative a little bit. Um, I'm going to share some statistics um, of families who are in a housing crisis and experiencing homelessness um, that will hopefully change your perspective of that immediate, oh, this is who I think of. And they're, they're, it's easy to think of those folks who there's amazing ministries that serve those, those people um, because they're, they're the ones that you can visually see, right? Whereas family homelessness sometimes is that hidden face of homelessness. Um, they might be sleeping in a car. They might be kind of living you know, unstably at a campground. They might be staying in a storage unit on night here or night there, or finding warm places um, that they can be, or doubled up in unsafe situations. 
So before we jump into, like I said, those logistical um, pieces of what the IHN ministry does, I want to share, like I said, a little bit about our families and a background. So a lot of times you might think, how are these families becoming homeless? How is this happening? How, do, how is there such a large population of homeless families who are not even realizing that they're there? Um, these are things that cause them to become homeless. So there's this big issue of lack of affordable housing in, in Grand Rapids and the greater Grand Rapids area. Um, I, I believe I have some stats going forward in some of these slides, but an average two bedroom for many of our families is about $1,200 a month um, right now because of the housing market, how ridiculous it is. Um, there's also issues of a lack of a support system. So some of these families maybe had a death in the family or a support person that moved away or whatever and that, that caused them to downward spiral into the loss of a job or something else that led them to not be able to pay their rent or pay their housing. A family breakup, maybe mom and dad split up and now the income has divided and it's been really hard to keep up. There's issues of domestic violence as well and medical crises. And so many of our families, that could be the range of a really big medical crisis, like a cancer diagnosis and having to get treatment and do those sorts of things, to even your, your sick kid is at school and he's calling day after day and all of a sudden, three strikes you're out, your mom or dad is working at a factory and they have to keep going to pick their child up and that job isn't forgiving and they say, I'm sorry, like you can't keep leaving your job and they lose their job and that medical crisis results in them losing that rent payment and, and becoming in a housing crisis. <coughs> so I already mentioned this is a community issue. So there's an extremely expensive metal rental market right now where the average cost of a two bedroom is about 1200 in Kent County. Um, but wages haven't gone up. So that kind of creates this unfair effect where you know, we've got rent going up, but wages are not increasing along with it. Wages are kind of staying here <laughs> and it's going like this. Um, and so that creates a really, really difficult situation. Um, at minimum wage, a single person would have to work over 70 hours a week to afford a two bedroom apartment um, or make somewhere around 17 to $20 an hour, um, which some of those jobs are available, but not a lot of jobs are paying that right off the bat, right? Um, so that is really, really difficult, especially on a single income. I am not sure if this will play. It gets embedded into these PowerPoints and then sometimes when it uploads to other spaces, I don't know if it'll have a little upload link. Okay, so I'll send out the link to Pastor Josiah. This is actually a video from our website that goes over it shows some of our, our spaces, which I'm a visual learner, and so I'm like, how does this work? If I can see it, I can understand it. And so this actually goes over, you know, some shoots of our day center space, uh, our um, one of our congregations in the evening, and things like that. So I'll share it, and he can pass it along to you. I can pull it up real quick and tell you where it's at. You know, you know, let's do that. Um, okay. I would love to show it for a second. Um, it's on our Family Promise website. Um, familypromisegr.org and it should be under one of the first tabs like who we are there's like a videos and media tab right. um, and it's the, I believe the title of the video is called promise made promise kept I have to figure out this as I'm presenting at congregations like how do I get this to embed properly so we don't have to do the whoop do I was at another, I was at Hillcrest Community, which is not far from here, um, a couple weeks ago, and 
there said we were in the back me and amanda one of my co-workers were trying to present and do this thing and the she's like you've got to pull the mouse all the way over it's like an imaginary screen over here you pull your mouse and then click i'm like what are you even talking about i'm a social worker i'm not a technology person oh this is family promise national so you need to go familypromisegr.org Uh, it's this one at the bottom. Oh, perfect. Yay. Yep, and then who we are, videos and media at the bottom. Look at this. Solving problems already. It's that first one. There we go. Yay. Family Promise provides emergency shelter to families with kids who are in a housing crisis, and we work with community partners and congregations to keep them safe and help them find a new home. Family Promise of Grand Rapids is part of a national organization with over 200 affiliates. Over the last 11 years that I've been here at Family Promise, we've seen explosive growth in our organization because we've seen explosive growth in the need for housing. Last year, we had over 600 families go through our shelter programming, and while many of these families are working really hard, they still are unable to keep and afford their housing. These families have nowhere to go. They're sleeping in their cars, they're sleeping in unsafe spaces, in homes, in cold garages. The most important thing that determines whether a family will successfully rehouse after an episode of homelessness is if they stay together. And so keeping the dad with the family, keeping older boys with the family, whatever that family unit looks like, keeping it intact. One of the ways we do that is using existing resources of the community. We partner with many congregations here in Kent County who provide that emergency shelter at night. Those congregations take their Sunday school classrooms or their conference rooms and flip them into private family rooms. They come back the next morning with this morning after smile that's incredible. They find these amazing volunteers, tons of energy, delightful food, private rooms, people to play with their kids, other families who are on the same journey they're on. And in that 24-hour period, everything changes for them. More than 90% of our families go into housing from shelter. And that's an incredible accomplishment for these families. The most rewarding thing about working at Family Promise is watching those families move home. That is like the biggest celebration around this place is key day when people get their keys. And when they go into housing, more than 90% of the families are staying housed two years later. And what we know about homelessness for families is if you make it past that one year mark, the likelihood that you're going to never experience homelessness again is really high. When you invest in each other in that way, and it's for keeps, we're making a promise to people and a commitment to each other, you can't help but be successful. It's not just getting a family in a safe shelter and those basic needs met, it's about getting that family restabilized. We help families find that place to call home, whatever that looks like. Sometimes that means helping families find a job. Sometimes it means helping families fix their car or helping that family get back to their support system, wherever that is. Whatever it looks like, Family Promise is there to help that family find a place to call home. We are Family Promise of Grand Rapids, and we keep our promise. I always, every time I show this video, I forget, I'm in this video. <laughs>
my son. Oh my gosh, I'm like, oh, there I am. I forgot that I'm in it. So that's my now two and a half year old. His name is Clay. Um, and so he was a little, helped be a little cameo in that video when we were making it. Um, so I like that video, like I said, because it gives a visual of our day center space. For our North Kent rotation, we have a separate day center space in the building of North Kent. So I know many of you are familiar with North Kent, North Kent Connect, and they've made some additions to their physical space, and the day center there is beautiful. I'm hoping to post pictures on social media in a week or two um, of that space because it's just gorgeous, and it's the space where families are during the day when they're not at the congregation at night. Um, so a quick, before I get in, like I said, to some logistics, uh, this is a little bigger picture stuff, but we help families from the lightest touch to a more heavier touch with that shelter piece. So we, we've been doing emergency shelter in Grand Rapids for about 25 years in this, uh, and it started as our small little IHN Greater Grand Rapids Interfaith Hospitality Network. Uh, we weren't even called Family Promise at that time. Um, and now we're part of, like I said, that major affiliate um, where there's over 200 affiliates across the whole country that have this shelter programming where families for one week at a time will stay in a congregation and rotate to the next week. Um, so that's that emergency shelter piece that we do. We help families with basic needs. So we, take, we do donation drives, we take donations, and we get families set to go especially when they walk in our doors there's a lot of trauma that has happened sometimes they've been hopping around or homeless for months or weeks or sometimes even hopping around for longer than that and so having a fresh set of towels having new toothbrushes having fresh pajamas um, those are things that just help a family go oh, i'm gonna be okay like i got this um, and just getting them set with those basic needs, diapers, wipes. I know how that goes. I have two in diapers right now. Um, finding a new home. So we have a couple different programs um, where families, um, we have a partners in housing program, which I'm super passionate about because before stepping into this role at Family Promise, I worked with families long-term um, in about a year-long relationship to become the owner of a manufactured home um, after a year of living in that and doing case management with, with myself. And so um, that's an awesome home ownership program, as well as some shared housing opportunities that we have and other landlord connections where we try to get families out of shelter as quickly as possible. Um, and then we do some stabilization work. Really what that means is helping a family stay stable once they've exited shelter. So we have a whole team of social workers that go out into the community and are ready to go to their homes and do budgets and motivate them and work alongside them and provide incentives to say, hey, like you wanna go back to school? We're gonna incentivize you to do that and we're gonna encourage you in that goal. Hey, you wanna get a promotion at your job? We're gonna encourage you to meet with your manager and do you know whatever those things are. We're helping them stay in their home and meet bigger and better goals. Um, and then the early childhood development work, we really focus so many of our families that we serve have little kids, um, five and under. And so we have specific um, programming where we help them connect them to um, developmental screenings and lead screenings and things like that to make sure that our littlest kids are safe and also ready to jump into school when it's time to start going to school. So this is an overall slide of how IHN works. So five families typically at a time maximum or about 15 people are in one congregation at a time um, and that congregation rotates week by week. 
In the North Kent rotation, currently we have six host congregations and eight support congregations. One of our host congregations, Peace Lutheran, they actually host two weeks in a row um, because we need more congregations to, to host. Um, and they had the ability to keep their space open and another congregation comes in and does most of the volunteerism for that second week they're in the building. Um, and so it, when you think of it, it uh, jumping onto this rotation, it would be a volunteer opportunity about every eight weeks. Um, you would have a week where you host families, and then you would have about eight weeks off, and then you would host again, um, is generally the rhythm of how it would go. Um, and like I said, it's a rotating weekly schedule. So there is a, um, a truck that transports the physical beds that go from congregation to congregation. So no congregation has to store all of those things or purchase all of those things. There's rotating beds that go from um, church to church. Um, and as you already know, there's over 215 affiliates in, United, in the United States doing this and that have been really doing it since the late 80s um, and whatnot, providing emergency shelter to families with kids. And we've been in Grand Rapids since 97, um, so we have a lot of history doing it in the Grand Rapids area. Um, and it started in 1986, um, years ago in New Jersey with a woman named Karen Olson, um, and she's the founder of Family Promise. So this is a little bit about the weekly schedule. So this is, you know, in hoping to answer some of those little logistical questions that many congregations have as they're like considering like, what do we want to do this ministry? What does this look like? Um, so this is kind of a snapshot of the schedule. Um, Sunday, the families would come to your congregation between four and six. So that's kind of that, um, that first day that they would be there for the week in the evening. Um, and that Sunday night would be the first night they would come sleep at the, the congregation. And Monday through Friday, the families leave first thing in the morning. There's a driver that picks them up. Um, and then they return at the, in the evening between 5.15 and 6. And typically, um, based on the families that are in shelter, the, a, a meal is provided to them by the congregation. Um, and typically, it's pretty simple. You think, we're, we're serving little kids, so it's probably going to be mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. It's probably going to be some casserole. It's probably going to be um, breakfast for dinner, you know, things, fun things that kiddos are going to enjoy um, and so some, some congregations think like, oh my gosh, meals, we have to go Alfredo and, and breadsticks and salad and, you know, like all of the, it's like, you can do that. That's amazing. But you can also do something super simple for the families. Um, Saturday, the families stay at the host congregation. So that's the only day that our day center space at North Kent Connect is typically closed. Um, a lot of times in, in, in the history of IHN, in the summer times, congregations will sometimes provide a fun activity on a Saturday, like maybe somebody has a lake house and there's a pontoon, and they bring families to go on the pontoon boat ride and hang out at the lake. That's awesome. Sometimes families are like, you know what, I've got so many errands to run and I've got things all around, I'm not even going to be at the church that day, so nobody, no volunteers even need to be there because until Saturday night, the last night that you would have families there. Um, and then Sunday, they would leave by 8 a.m., so of course you can be ready for your Sunday service that day. And then that following night is when they start the first week at that, not, that next congregation. So those are some of the weekly logistics. Um, and notes, beds are transported to host congregations with family belongings each Sunday. Um, the staff <coughs> transport the families unless they have their <coughs> vehicle. Um, sometimes families will drive themselves, which is the case a lot more times in North Kent than it is in Grand Rapids. because. There's a bus system in Grand Rapids, so sometimes families can get around easier. 
Um, families will let volunteers know, you know, brief bio update of family. So you'll know previous to your host week, who's showing up here? Is it going to be, uh, you know, two dads and two moms and, you know, whatever. Like, is it going to be a single Is it going to be little kids? Is it going to be teenagers? You'll know um, who to expect um, that week previous. And then Saturdays are a great day for relaxation and fun. So even if you just keep your congregation building open and have one person here that hangs out with the families so that the families can sleep in or that they can, you know, do a fun activity in the afternoon or, or whatnot, head up to the park or a playground, that's great too. So these are a few statistics on the families that we serve after hearing some logistics about IHN. So really, so many of the parents we serve are single moms, about 85% of them. And over 65% of the people that we shelter on a regular basis are kids. And more than half of those kids served are five and under. So I was mentioning we have a big population of little kids um, that are in this housing crisis with these families. And so that's why we work really, really hard so that their shelter stay is really, really brief and they can get home and get stable again. COVID, we've already talked about that this morning um, amongst some of the prayer requests. Um, but this is an update for Family Promise as what we've been doing. So um, we're really proud to report that we did have zero outbreaks during um, the more of the um, strict re regulations and shutdowns. Um, we are taking precautions to do this together. So during um, a week that a, that a congregation is hosting, we do ask that you do wear masks with the families, that there is social distancing happening, and that there's frequent washing of hands, all the things we already know as to how to stay safe as possible. Um, and there are daily screenings in both of our programs, our Grand Rapids program and our North Kent program. During the day, Amanda, who is the program manager for North Kent, she is screening any of the families that are there and asking the COVID questions and making sure they don't have a fever. And if there's any concerns or if a family is headed to get tested for whatever reason, they wouldn't come to the church that night, if that makes sense. So they would, they would, we would be able to use funding to do a hotel or something like that. So I know that there's lots of um, craziness around COVID, but we are um, taking it incredibly seriously. And if we have a concern with a family, we're gonna support that family and also make sure the congregation is safe. So I, you all know are hearing about how to get involved and you're already considering in that big um, question of IHN and what that might look like for your congregation. But there's also other ways, volunteering through our day center spaces at North Kent Connect, um, in-kind donations. Um, so like I said, we, we provide lots of things to our families, especially even as they move out and go into housing. Many families are moving in with little to nothing. And so if we can provide them some pots and pans, if we can provide them some bedding and pillows and, and things like that, then that's super helpful. Financial gifts um, always help our ministry. Changing the narrative, um, I talked about that at the very beginning. Um, you know, people don't realize how big of a crisis this is in our community. Um, and we're working together to help families find a safe place to call home. Here are some outcomes. Um, over 85% of the families we serve find a place to call home. Cheryl mentioned 90 in the video as well. So we're in that 85 to 90% range in the last couple of years where families exit shelter successfully into home. Um, and so we love that. We served over 500 families and over 1,000 kids in 2020.
we were very tired. Um, we did a lot of work um, in 2020 during the COVID pandemic and as that pandemic continues. Um, we're doing more to invest in early childhood services and connecting to community resources. And over 100 fam 170 families um, will become homeowners um, in Partners in Housing. Um, and that's since its beginning. But in 2021, we will purchase 35 mobile homes total, um, which is our Partners in Housing program, the mobile home ownership program that I'm very, very passionate about. And that's what I've you know, spent uh, the last five or six years in my time at Family Promise doing before stepping into this role. So it's a pretty incredible um, opportunity. And we have had families who were sheltered in North Kent who then got into partners in housing and are now homeowners um, in that program. So it's very cool to see the evolution of, of what happens to that family and, and the difference it makes for them. Of course we want you to stay connected. You have to find us on Facebook and Instagram, right? And our, I always point out that our handle is Family Promise GR. Um, there's Family Promise National, so if you just type Family Promise, you're gonna find Family Promise National's website and in, in materials. But for Facebook and Instagram, we're GR at the end of it, as well as our website. So I know there's going to be a question and answer time after the service, and I'm, I'm excited to do that. I just appreciate your willingness to hear more about what we do with our families and how we serve our families in the North Kent community. And even that you're willing to say, what does coming to the table to this ministry look like for you all? Um, and I wanna make sure that you have all the questions answered um, that you need post the service. So thank you so much for your time. Um, and I'm happy and excited to talk more and provide more resources as um, your congregation considers how to get involved. So. <laughs> Thank you. This concludes the message portion of Kelsey's presentation. From here on out, we will be moving into the question and answers time. Yeah. Before we even jump in, I was even telling Pastor Josiah, like, I love when you walk out your doors, your little sign, you're now entering the mission field. Um, whereas the insanely amazing thing about this ministry in particular, like the families come into your building, like they come to you um, and the mission field is within your, in, within your congregation. So that's just really neat. I love that part about IHN and the fact that you are familiar with your community, your church building, and you can create a space of hospitality um, one week at a time for these families that might be in need. So it's just really neat. I just love that part about it. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that while I was with you all today. So, question. Yes. How long does an average family stay in the program? Is there like a limit? Like yeah. So pre-COVID, our length of stay, we call LOS length of stay in, in, our, in our world, um, was about 38 to, um, days or so on average. Um, now we're experiencing a longer length of stay in our program because of the fact that there's just not housing for families to go into. And so when there's no housing market, families can't exit and, get, and move home. So sometimes that length of stay looks closer to 60 days. Um, and so with, like I mentioned, with your rotation, it could happen to be that, you know, you, uh, with the every eight weeks, it could be that you see the same family again the next time that you host because they are still working on housing and working on goals. 
Um, so that's definitely something to consider. Um, even in relationship building, right? You get to see them again. You get to host them again. Um, and, and trust, you know, with, with our team and our social work team that they're working on housing, they're working on whatever, if it's a job placement or things like that, that they are working towards. We focus on that. And then awesome thing about the IHN ministry is the families work really hard during the day and at night they get to come to the congregation and they get to take a breath and just get loved on. Um, and their kids get to get loved on by whatever volunteers are here and they get to eat a meal prepared together. Um, and so that's just a really, a really nice part about it. Is there a limit to how long people stay in? There is not a limit, no. So we would never, um, we're always working daily with families to make sure they exit into a positive placement. So um, we've had long lengths of stays past 60 days because that family was working, they were working hard, and they had the things they needed lined up, they just weren't finding housing. And so we're never going to exit in family and say, well, it's day 90, you've been here for 98. Like, you know, of course, at some point, we're going to continue to motivate and push families and, and connect them to resources. Um, but we would never just exit a family because, hey, you're not, you're here too long um, sort of thing. So that's a great question. Yeah, so I actually have a slide on that, but it's a little bit different for Grand Rapids than it is for North Kent. Um, and so North Kent, for you all to know a little bit more of the history with the IHN program, we were only running North Kent IHN for about six months, and then COVID came. So it's still, in my mind, a still a very new program here in North Kent. And so the familiarity, the, even the community familiarity around that it's here, that it's available to families, we've kind of had to do different things in this community to get the word out than we would have to in our Grand Rapids rotation. Um, and so the way that families would find out about Family Promise, Amanda, who is our IHN program manager for North Kent, she has relationships with all of the schools and is in contact with a lot of the school's counselors to know if a student might be experiencing homelessness. Um, there's typically like social workers at each school that usually will know that about a student if they're experiencing homelessness. Um, and so we've had, you know, kids from Rockford, kids from, you know, all these northern schools, Cedar Springs, that are in a housing crisis. They, are, they don't have housing. Um, and, the, and the school typically knows that. North Kent Connect also provides referrals because North Kent Connect works with such a large body of people in the community. And they're aware when someone's in a, in a housing crisis and they know that Family Promise is available. Um, so there's a couple different avenues of how a family would show up at the doors of Family Promise for North Kent. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of times it's through the school system. Um, it's also through... Um, you know, like I said, the North Kent Connect relationships and whatnot. And Amanda's even, you know, doing things like reaching out to certain mobile home parks that might have, they might know of a family who's about to be evicted, you know, and letting them know, like, there's this shelter space available if you don't have anywhere to go um, sort of thing. So there's just a different community outreach that's happened in the northern area to make sure families are aware that this ministry is available if they're in need instead of, you know, coming into shelter instead of being in an unsafe situation or sleeping in an unsafe um, spot with their kiddos or having to break up to do that, um, which oftentimes also happens for families. You had something in the back. I just have a question. I noticed in the rotation, there's not a lot of churches yet, so the rotation is happening pretty frequently. Yes. Are, are you talking to other churches that are expressing interest but just haven't signed on at this point? Yes, we, we are. That's a great question. So that's 
I, this is a new, like congregational development is a new position. We haven't had somebody in this space before. Um, and my specific <laughs> several goals are to get more um, congregations that will come on, especially for North Kent, because we do know best practice is to have about 15 to 16 host congregations for one year. But right now we, we don't have anywhere close to that for North Kent. And so that obviously creates the more weeks a congregation hosts, the more tiring it can get um, because it is, there, there's volunteers, there's overnights, there's meals. Um, so there is a lot of those things that, that the congregation provides. And so the longer in between those host weeks is better, right? You have some time to breathe, have some time to plan some other things for your congregation to then prepare again for another host week. Yeah. A follow-up question to that is what, how many support churches are there and what do the support churches do to help that's a great question. So um, right now in North Kent, there's about eight strong host, or sorry, support congregations, six um, consistent hosts. Like I said, Peace hosts two weeks in a row. Um, and so that, you know, elongates the rotation schedule for the next group. But with those support congregations, it can be a variety of things. So a support congregation can be as heavy as when you host they also come into your space and provide meals on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or they provide some of the overnight people who sleep at the church at night with the families, or they provide um, the Saturday time. Like if your church stays open on a Saturday, the support church comes in on a Saturday. So it's essentially whatever that, whatever the host congregation is needing is hopefully how the support congregation would step in and, and provide that balance of volunteers and just manpower to run the space for the week um, to provide a hospitality to the families. So it can be, like I said, anything from as small as a couple of meals that you, then your congregation doesn't have to worry about the meals for whatever nights those are, to they help with, they are here with you the whole week and they help every single day. Um, so it really depends on the needs of the host congregation as to how we try to match the support congregations. I know the newest support congregation that has just come on um, that actually supported a Grand Rapids congregation years ago, so they're very familiar with IAGEN, um, but it's Our Lady of Consolation in Rockford, um, a Catholic congregation. So um, they are just recently coming on and being trained to actually be paired with Mamerland Lutheran, who um, Mamerland Lutheran was actually where our day center space was before we had a day center at North Kent. Um, and so they've been an amazing support as well. Um, but yes, that is kind of, it, it really can be from a light touch to we really provide a ton of volunteers that week. Um, and I'm in uh, conversations with a congregation that meets out of a school right now in the North Kent area. Um, and they obviously, because they meet out of a school, they can't host families, right? They don't have the facility, a physical congregation building to host families, but they love the ministry and they're like, we really wanna get involved with this. We really wanna come on as a support. And so they have the volunteers, but they don't have the physical space. So they're excited to come to a congregation that provides the space to use it for volunteering and whatnot for their ministry. So it can be a variety of, of things. So that's a great question. I have somebody, yeah. Can you talk about a typical night? Is everyone in their room not paying attention to each other? Or do they like to be entertained or not? Oh, that is such a good question. Okay, so it can be both. It can be, it really depends on the families. Um, you know, at, like I mentioned with North Kent, the ministry is newer. And so typically 
it's, it's common right now for us not to be at full capacity. So while I said five families in the presentation, that's the maximum of families you would ever have walk into your door, like five families slash 15 people total. So sometimes we have 15 people, but that's in an amount of three families because each of those families have three or four kids, you know what I mean? So, um, and so it just depends. But when it comes to the activities, it could be, you know, we might have a mom or two in shelter with, with little, little kids. And so having things for those littles to do is sometimes super helpful. And a mom could take an hour break and sit in her room while a church volunteer is playing with their two-year-old uh, or something like that. And sometimes we have teenagers. So you, like I said, you would know what the family dynamics are leading up to your host week. We would typically send that to you the week before. So you would have a concept of, okay, are there gonna be teenagers, middle schoolers, littles, or from the spectrum? Like in Grand Rapids right now, we have a mom with a three week old baby. Like she had a baby while she was in, in a housing crisis with us and is, is in shelter. And so I was in the day center space the other day and like I have a six month old. So then hearing like the little newborn cry, you're like, oh newborn cries is such a specific sound um, and your heart's just like oh my gosh that little baby um, and so it's just a variety of like what the family needs what they're what they're wanting um, sometimes families do want to come to the congregation and just shut a door sometimes it will be really quiet because families are in trauma um, homelessness is a traumatic experience there's a lot going on um, and there is um, uh, piggy, piggybacking off of that there is a specific I should have mentioned this at the beginning of the question and answer that we do a called to care training um, for any of our congregations that say, yes, we're signing on, we're doing this. It's a call to care training that essentially trains you all as volunteers as how to interact with the families. Like what do, what do those daily interactions look like when they're physically in your space and how to be trauma informed about how you talk to the families. Um, sometimes, for example, asking a question when a family walks in your doors, how was your day today? <laughs> you might be prepared for a very interesting answer if you ask that to a family, whereas it might be better to ask, oh, or make a comment about the little boy's shirt. Oh, I see you have a Superman shirt on. That's so cool, buddy. You know, instead of asking a question of, how's your day been going? Because the day might not have gone really well for that family. Um, and so how to interact in those, more of those specific um, volunteer training pieces that we also offer um, if a congregation says, yes, we want to do this. So we definitely would provide something like that. But Sorry, that's not a great answer to your question, but it's a whole variety. It can be, yes, the congregation has planned activities. Um, and maybe it's like, I, we even have one of our families or one of our congregations that they love beading. And they love like the beading and the braiding um, and bracelets and things like that. And they didn't necessarily plan it, but they just love that. And that's their craft that they love. And they just brought it with them when they came to the church that night. And this, you know, seventh grader that happened to be in shelter at the time was super into it. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. They spent the whole night crafting together. So it can be very, very like, you bring your scrapbooking, you bring your coloring, you know, whatever it might be to have something ready. But it's not as if you have to um, very specifically plan and curate, okay, Monday night is basketball night. And Tuesday night, we're going to do that. You know what I mean? It's not as if you feel as congregation have to provide activities per night. Because really, this is a place where families can come to just breathe. And, and take a rest so that they can tackle the next day um, in their housing crisis. That's what you're providing. Yeah. And then you're bringing the beds in for them, but it's not it makes a lot of sense to have someone from the church sleep overnight here with them as well somewhere. 
So the, there is additional beds. So there's actually 16 physical beds. So best practice, and this doesn't happen every single night at every single congregation, but best practice is to have a man and a woman at least overnight, every night with the families. And that's really, a lot of that is because like, if a kid wets the bed, then a congregation knows where to grab new bedding. And if it's a boy or a girl, you know, then there's a man and a woman there to assist with those sorts of issues. Um, and so that sometimes can be super helpful when a congregation says, yep, we're willing to, and then you have your own, generally own closed door space, and the families know, okay, the, the volunteers are sleeping in this room over here, and we might down, be down in this hallway or this wing or whatever that might look like. Um, and so they would know where to access the volunteers if something came up at night, a kid throws up, you know, whatever that might look like um, on a very rare occasion. Um, so helping, having somebody there overnight. Um, and I've, I've been an overnight person. And we've, we had a congregation at one point. Um, we lost a, one of our congregations unexpectedly for a host week. And so our staff was, we were like, okay, well, we got this. We're going to go sleep. And my husband and I, we packed up our backpacks and we slept overnight. I think it was at Trinity Lutheran um, uh, in East Grand Rapids. And we were like, okay, here we are. We're just sleeping overnight. And it's literally like you just sleep. And then you wake up and the families go about their business and get out the door. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go about my business for the day. So um, so it's not, um, but we, we had shirts in the past which I loved it was it said family promise on the front and then on the back it said my pastor likes it when I sleep in church <laughs> so <laughs> we love those I and Jen shirts are pretty great <laughs> but those are great questions yeah so normally a, con a volunteer from your congregation would would sleep over and generally it's nice to have two adults typically man and woman but that doesn't it's not you know you have to have that in terms of children, do churches need to have like board games and toys available? You know, not necessarily. Um, a lot of that is provided in our day center space during the day. And if kids, you know, having a couple things available is kind of nice. Like, but Yeah. And sometimes it's like things in the nursery or things, like I said, sometimes families, you know, want to be out and about that day, that, that day. And typically you kind of figure that out throughout the week. You would know, you know, a couple days into the host week, what are families' plans for that Saturday? And sometimes families are out and about and they don't need the church to be open. And sometimes families are like, I just want to sleep in. I just want to be here and just have my door closed and just rest with my kids. Um, and that's okay too. Um, because they're going through a lot. So we allow them to kind of get that sleep-in day, which they don't get the rest of the week on a Saturday usually, um, as long as the congregation can provide that. Yes, if, if the congregation needs pack-and-plays, we can provide those, and you just keep them here. Um, or if a congregation says, you know what, we're going to donate those, or we have those already. Um, but yes, sometimes we do need pack-and-plays for those you know, kiddo situations um, to provide the beds for the littles, for sure. Kids that go to school, would they be transported from the North Connect location? Yeah, generally, if there is like a busing pickup, we usually try to coordinate that um, 
where they would get picked up at North Kent Connect because that makes a lot more sense because the congregation changes each week. So the bus obviously needs to have a solid place to be picking them up. Um, and so we're always making sure, Family Promise will work that part out. We never want kids to miss school um, and we're gonna make sure that the kids have a way to school. Sometimes the van driver that picks the kiddos up in the morning would also drop them off. Like I've been the morning van driver at the Grand Rapids rotation, I don't know how many times, um, just because stepping in if a staff needed to or whatever. Um, and on the way from, you pick them up at the church and then if a kid has to go to school over here or over there, you just kind of do a quick route and drop them off and then they're on their way. Um, and we, we use an unmarked, it's a, it's a 15 passenger van, but it doesn't have family promise blasted on the side of it. So they, you know, their schoolmates know oh, this kid's getting dropped off from family promise. What's going on with them? You know, it's, it's an unmarked van. So they, you know, nobody would really know where that child is coming from, of course, to keep their situation confidential and to um, keep their um, privacy kept up. So those are great questions. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So when it comes to that, a lot of that is up to what, what your congregation would need to say that it's safe. So a lot of congregations have like laminated papers that they will use every single host week and they'll, on the fire exits or whatever, they'll just put them up to help guide families. Um, and a lot of times like congregations will get little whiteboards or whatever to write the family's name on, on the outside of their door so that they know the family's first name and the kids' names. Um, so whatever signage um, you know you would want to create, we also have some that we could provide to you, like some sample signage, like even ones that talk about masking. Um, and because typically um, during a host week, families are asked to mask when they're out in any open space other than their room. So if a family's in their room, of course, they don't need to be masked. Um, and then, of course, when everybody's eating and things like that, it's super helpful to have. Um, masks on just to make sure that everybody is staying safe and staying healthy. Um, but yes, signage of how, however you would want to direct. A lot of times like having a kitchen available to families, a kitchen space where it's like you have some snacks and that kitchen is open so that even in the late evening, if a kid wants a pudding cup or a bedtime snack, then the congregation just has a few things available. Macaroni cups are great, you know, um, little snacks for the evening time after, so that they have something late at night and dinner. Um, even PBJ supplies are super helpful, and it's really, really simple, seems really simple, but a late night PBJ sometimes hits the spot, right? <laughs> like, so it's helpful to have those sorts of things for families um, ready at night as well um, at your congregation. These are great questions. Yeah. Is there a chance that any of the families would stay for service on Sunday or do they always leave? Usually um, they, they would be, you are always welcome to invite them to service. That's, it's never an issue. We've had families stick around for services um, in the past, especially ones that have their own transportation. And so if they already have their own transportation and they know what the church is, the host church is that night, 
they're welcome to do what they want to with during the daytime. So they're not families aren't required to once they leave the church, they don't they aren't required to come right to the day center and say like, "Oh, you have to check in at the day center." So we don't, you know, we're not policing them in that regard. I don't really like that word, but we're not necessarily monitoring them and that we're letting them do their go about their business they might have a landlord they're meeting with that day they might have something going on they probably have work so many of our families are working um so it just depends on what that looks like but you would be more than welcome to invite them to your sunday morning service um and it could be that they stay and it could be that they they head out to the next space or do what they need to do for the day yeah um are there any You know, that, that's something I'm learning a little bit more about in this role. Um, a lot of congregations ask about the liability, um, even if you're a support congregation to a host congregation. Really, there's, there's no legal like liabilities that you have. Um, you're essentially, there, I think there's one um, document that a congregation signs coming on as a host that just says, this is what you're providing. Um, essentially, a lot just lines out that you're providing the emergency shelter and this rotation. Um, but I, I can get you more information about that, um, you know, for your for your council to consider and you to consider when it comes to like the any paperwork that you would sign as a congregation. Because I know there is at least one document um, that essentially just says you're coming on as a host congregation to this ministry, um, but nothing that you would need to change about your building because a lot of times our buildings, the buildings that families are hosted in are up to code because you already have to be because you're, you're hosting um, your church here. So. Are there rules or guidelines for them to follow? Like when they should be here, are they free to come and go as they please? Or what if it's two in the morning and you know someone's not back? Or... Right. Okay. Those, these are great questions. Yeah. So, we have an on-call staff at all times. First, I guess I'll answer the other part of your question first. Families, once they get to the host congregation at night, generally they're not leaving. They're here for the evening. You would know in advance if a family, say, for example, they have a third shift job, maybe mom or dad of that family has a third shift job, and dad might leave at 11 o'clock at night, and mom, of course, stays in, in with the kids, and, and dad goes to work. So that you would already know if a dad is leaving for the evening because he's going to his third shift job. Um, and you would also know, like if a family worked a second shift job and they're getting back at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, then the overnight person would obviously be responsible to just let them into the building because they were at work. And you would, again, you would know that that person is coming at that specific time back. It is very rare that we have an MIA situation with a family where we're, where, you know, the congregation is like, Amy never showed up. I don't know what happened to her. Um, she just never came. You know, it's so, so rare that that situation would happen because the families already understand the programming, the volunteer piece. They understand that they're, you know, expected at a certain time because the congregation typically has a meal provided for them and they're excited about coming and eating that meal. Um, so they come and eat and, and are there for the night typically. But you would know if there's a, a funkiness in a schedule where you should expect someone late or expect someone to leave at a certain time out of the building in the evening. I hope that, does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah. What about um, alcohol or drugs, marijuana, that kind of thing? Are there rules or guidelines for that? Yeah, yes, yes. That was the second part of your question, sorry. 
Um, we do have regulations around that. So we do ask families not to, to be using um, while they're in shelter with us because we know that that can be a safety concern, right? That can inhibit their ability to parent, inhibit their ability to um, be safe. And so we are asking and monitoring some of those things with families um, to make sure that everyone in the congregation is safe. And if there are things, it is very rare, but if there are things that come up where you notice, wow, this family is coming in and they clearly had, you know, the, whatever the smell is, whatever that situation is, that you feel like there'd be an unsafe situation, you can call us immediately. We have, like I said, either an on-call staff and somebody that can physically come here and talk to the family. You don't have to worry about any of those sticky situations, as you might think, um, or might call them sticky situations with a family where like, I don't know how to, you know, op, you know, interact. I don't know what to do or I don't know what to say. You really don't have to say anything. You can just call us, <laughs> you know, and we will, we will handle that situation directly with the family. And we'll say, hey, what's going on? And have that conversation and make sure everyone and the kids and the family are safe and that the volunteers are safe. Um, so we will ha handle that conversation 100% if anything were to come up. That's a great question. Is family screen criminal background? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so we do, any family that comes in with us, we're making sure that there's no violent felonies on their background as well as CSC. Um, so those are the things that are big red flags in, I think, maybe in the last nine years that I've been working at Family Promise, we maybe have screened out one person of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families that we've worked with where we like looked at a background and we were like, oh, we just can't say yes to this person because of what was going on. Um, but in general, you know, if, if anything comes up on a family's background, it's not something that's a concern of, you know, the safety of our volunteers or the other families. Of course, if there is, like I said, a CSC or, or violent background, then that's something that we really heavily consider and say, we have to reroute, we have to pivot and see how else we can support this family. But we run the background for you. Absolutely. Is Yes, absolutely. So we would go over that in more detail, but really any safety concerns, it's kind of like the answer to everything. Call Amanda, call Amanda, call Amanda, <laughs> because she is communicating on such a regular basis with the family. She sees them every single day at the day center almost. And so she knows, you know, if there's an interpersonal thing going on, she might even be able to alert the congregation like, hey, just be ready. Like if these families are avoiding each other, there's a good reason for it and just let it be, you know, sort of thing. Um, so she'll kind of helpfully, you know, would be able to even give you a heads up if there were any concerns. It's, it's still even rare for those sorts of things to happen. Um, it's almost like the opposite happens a lot of times where families really come together um, during their time and families still stay connected once they exit shelter and they still support one another and watch each other's kids and um, you know, because they went through a trauma together, right? They went through something really hard. And so when you go through something really, really hard with other people, you can get close really, really fast. Um, and so we have a lot of families that, you know, that connect. But yes, there's sometimes those parenting concerns of, 
well, you told my kid to do this, you know, those sorts of things. It's make sure people are separate and that they're safe and call Amanda because she will navigate that 100% for you. You don't have to worry about those sorts of, like I said, sticky situations like, oh, what do we do now? Um, but make sure that, you know, we're aware of it. And be clear, like if you feel like it's a situation where, wow, we're not really sure what to do, something just happened. You know, if you need someone to physically come and be here, communicate that because we, that's our job. We will be here and, and support you in whatever that scenario might be. Yes, that's a great question. Oh my gosh, showers and laundry, those are all logistical things um, that, that are super appropriate to talk about. So showers, there are multiple showers at North Kent Connect. A lot of our congregations in Grand Rapids at, over time ha have added showers in their building. Seems weird to have a shower in a church sometimes and you think, oh, that's odd. Um, but it's super helpful to have a, a shower um, because families can shower at night if they really, really want to. However, that's no, by any means not a requirement. Many congregations operate IHN with no shower, um, but it's, um, they, they are able to do those things during the day at the day center and have laundry facilities and whatnot. So, and some congregations have a washer and dryer because they wash linens and they do whatever. And so that's super easy for them and families can do laundry at night if they want to. Um, so that's an option, but it really just depends on what the congregation's capacity is to provide those things. And if either, neither of those are a requirement to host families, launch, like laundry facilities or showers. So you would not need to have either of those to be able to host because families can do that during the day at the day center. Yeah. You know, for that kind of thing. Um, and then just um, maybe there's recommendations for certain first aid things to have available just so in case something comes up we're prepared and know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I will, con I'll double check on this, but I'm, I'm almost certain that whatever liability insurance your, your congregation already has, like if somebody tripped and fell today on a Sunday, you know, that would be the same situation if somebody was just in your building and something happened. Um, we always, if the, especially if there's an, a medical emergency, don't call us first, call Amanda first, or call 911 first and then Amanda. Um, and so that's, you know, the steps to take, especially if there's a medical emergency or a concern where somebody breaks an arm or whatever. Again, it's so rare, um, but we always want to be prepared, right? We want to have, we want to know the procedure. Um, so making sure that 911 is called and then um, that you would check with Amanda and see what the needs are with the family going forward, if it's getting them to a hospital or whatever, that has been super rare. And sometimes it's, you know, a family, some of the families that we serve, um, because of the transitions that they've been in, they might view the emergency room as a, a primary care almost where like, oh, my, my throat hurts really, really bad. I'm going to go to the emergency room right now. And it's eight o'clock at night. 
okay, well, maybe we can go in the morning and navigate that at that time, and maybe Amanda can talk th that through with them on the phone. You, again, would not have to be the ones to try to convince them not to go. And again, if they're, they're the parents, so we always empower our moms and dads, like if they have, especially if they have a sick child or something is going on and they're adamant about, I need to go right now, then you need to go right now, right? Like that's what you need to do. Um, to make sure that your family is safe. So we would always help navigate that conversation and make sure that everyone is safe um, and that they have the services that they need. Um, but I would assume with the liability piece, there is no changes that you as a congregation would have to make in any insurance coverage that you have. It would all just fall under what you already are paying for. Usually the congregation for whatever um, you would do for like a Sunday school scenario, um, just because volunteers are directly interacting with kids, right? So we wanna make sure that there's no concerns with volunteers who would interact with kids. So generally the congregation provides those background checks for whoever would be interacting and volunteering with IHN because there are littles um, that would be here and be, be interacted with. So. Um, if there is a concern with like, oh, we don't know how to do that, or the iChat, we do have an iChat system and a background system that we could help um, with if that was a need, but a lot of times congregations are already running their own backgrounds for whatever, like Sunday school services, that would be the same type of check. We would just, uh, the basic of make sure that there's no CSC or violent aggressive um, backgrounds that we would have concerns about interacting face-to-face -face with the families. Yeah, and there is, like I said, we would, if a congregation says, yes, we're in, we want to do this. Um, I did want to mention, um, as the opportunity of not assuming that you guys are coming on um, and that you're making that decision as a congregation, if you did say, yes, we want to start hosting families, um, the rotation right now is set through January. And so you would not have the responsibility to begin and to prepare and to get ready to do that for the first time until the, really the first week or two in February. So if you had a, a resounding, yes, we are, we're, we're buying into this, we wanna do it, um, then like I said, you would have some time, you wouldn't even have to worry about the holiday season, you would be able to essentially you know, start to navigate that and um, we would, if, if it was a yes, then we would say, hey, let's, let's talk about February. What would February look like in getting you on the rotation as a first host week in February? Great. Now, in, in January, there's a list of things that are going on outside of the snow and mud and all that kind of stuff. That's going to be brought into the church. Do we have to clean the church on a daily basis then when the families are here? Yeah, so... Yeah, so generally, like, whatever, you know, you would want to do on a Sunday to kind of keep it clean, then whoever, that would be a volunteer part of this ministry is, you know, keeping the space clean and kept up. And generally, like, if there's an ask of families to take their shoes off at the door, especially if it's super muddy, 
you can ask them to do that. This is your, this is your space. So if, if it was like they wanted to come in and they didn't want to track it throughout the building and they just had a spot for their shoes, that's fine too, you know, so to create... Oh my gosh, this yeah, and the salt it, in Michigan, like, oh my gosh, all the salt everywhere. How does it get everywhere? Um, so I totally understand those things. But yeah, you could, you could navigate that as what was appropriate for your congregation. If that was something that you wanted families to do, that made it easier for cleanup, that's what you can ask. So, yeah. Anything else? All right, I'm going to call it. <laughs> So, officially, I'm out. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you so much for coming yes, out. Yes, thank you for your time. <laughs> so, uh,